A look at your weapons cache next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. All of us hold varying views on the Second Amendment, to be sure. But when it comes to our life, our walk in Christ, each and every one of us as believers have at our disposal a weapons cache. Hi, welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Today we go to Ephesians chapter 6 to take a look at this weapons cache, this armory that has been given to you uniquely and specifically for the spiritual warfare you face on a daily basis. For all the details, our teacher and pastor now, here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's program. This is religious sin at its best. I want to become like God. I want to be autonomous. I want to make the rules for myself. I do not want another telling me what I should do. That is man's autonomy quest. And if I can gain enough knowledge, I will determine what's good and evil for me. I don't need the voice of God to tell me what's good for me. So I want to live without external restraints, external prohibitions or commands. I will become like God. Wait a minute, Adam and Eve. You're already like God. He made you in his in image. He's already given you capacities that are not in the animal world, that are not in the vegetation world. You've already got, you had advanced standing in the dignity of the human race. You're way up there. But I want to be like God in one other area. What's that? I want to determine what is good and evil. I don't want anyone telling me that. Whoa, oh, you, you, you want the prerogatives of God. Just like Satan says, I don't want any throne above my throne. I will move my throne up. So you are saying, Adam and Eve, you want through sin this advanced knowledge and say, I'm my own man. Nobody outside of me tells me what to do. Then I will be as God. Did you know that will cost you death? Adam, did you know that there's never been any death up to now? It's going to cost you your boy's life in the next chapter. Did you know the entire race is going to be murdered if you accept that lie? And I would say to you here, if you're acting autonomous of God, acting like you make all the rules for your Christian life, you're accountable not to God, you make all the rules of what you will do, how you will act, the Word of God doesn't determine what you do with your money, doesn't determine what you do with your body, doesn't determine what you do with your mouth, your eyes. You can look at anything, say anything, sleep with anyone, and money. You see, money is the counterpart to this evil in our day because money is what man can do for himself. The more money you love, the less God you trust. To love money is to trust money. And Jesus said the rival God has with human beings in the physical realm is the love of money because it excludes God from being the source of their supply. 
It excludes God from being trusted. I don't need a God when I've got money because we transfer our faith from the invisible, undiminished source to a visible source we can control, we can be God over, we can handle. It's why money is a subtle noose on our neck. That's why you've got to learn to give it. You've got to learn not to be controlled by it, for it is a subtle God that has enslaved thousands. That's why he warns so much. It's, it's a counterpart that you give up faith if you don't know how to handle money. You'll start trusting it and treating it like a God. Now, what happened? What were the results of taking this bait, of giving in to these tactics? Let me share some, the tragic results. The first thing is the knowledge of evil only came with disobedience. Disobedience didn't bring advanced knowledge of God. We just found out more evil. They've never known evil. And so watch, watch for the results. When you sin, you only gain the knowledge of evil, not the knowledge of good. So if you want evil, if you want evil in your life, and you must know this, Satan knows that if you're a believer, he cannot destroy you. He cannot even destroy your eternal life. But what he wants to do is to keep you in sin so that you cannot enjoy God. And God becomes the cosmic uh, uh, cop on the beat in your life. Oh, here he comes. He's going to catch me one more time. The furthest thing from intimacy, the furthest thing from a loving relationship, you've turned him into the enemy, just as the thief turns the policeman into the enemy. The policeman's not the enemy. The activity the thief wants to do is the enemy. But we'll say, the other person is interfering with my plan. Our sin only doubles our knowledge of evil. And you know, uh, when you meet different people, there's some people that have gone a lot further in sin. They've done it a lot longer. They've done a lot more of it. Uh, and you know what, if you talk to a person like that all day, you will have gained nothing but a heavy heart and a soiled spirit. I've done 10,000 more sins than you. Let me teach you. Why would I want to know? Hollywood's already doing it. You know why Hollywood is so good at producing evil? It's an evil institution. It's an anti-God institution that's designed to make money off of people's lust and their curiosity. And they get rich off of us because they set us up. We'll show you things about evil you never had the guts to do. We'll show you a mafia member killing somebody. You'd never do it, but we'll at least bring you enough pleasure to enjoy watching it. Knowledge of evil. Shame replaced transparency. This term nakedness here is not, you must get beyond nudity. Uh, they've always been naked. You know, they, when God shows up, uh, why didn't you show up, Adam? Oh, uh, we were naked. What an excuse. Adam, I've never been around you but when you were naked. This is not a new condition. This is an old condition. But nakedness comes to stand for something 
I feel exposed. I feel uh, vulnerable. Uh, I, there's no place to hide. I must hide my condition. I'm in a vulnerable, exposed condition. So I'll manufacture uh, my own fig leaves. And you know, the cover-up industry is a great industry. Great industry to cover up what I really am. It's amazing what all we're doing surgically just to cover up how ugly we're getting. If you've got enough money, you can keep more wrinkles away. And that's all right if that's what you want to do. I'm not for ugly. But when you start thinking of all the stuff I've got to do to cover up, to look good, to be at my best. I mean, how much money you pay to smell good, look good, dress good, good breath. I mean, but these fig leaves are really going to cover the internal nakedness I feel. Something happened psychologically to them. Something, it wasn't all of a sudden it got cold in the place. The temperature's the same. No, something inside said, whew, I feel exposed. I, I feel the sense of, uh, I'm not in any condition to be in the presence of anyone. And something happens in them. Shame comes. And shame is, I've got to cover what I don't like about what I've done. And so I can't talk about it. I only cover it up. And that's why psychology can say, hey, we've got to dredge up all the past. And you stay there a year just talking about all the nakedness you're covering up for a lifetime. Because man is a cover-up artist. His fig leaves are his best effort. They just rot quickly, and all of a sudden they drop off the waist, and he's exposed again. They just don't last. Then, it's an interesting thing that differences replace likeness. Here they want to be like God in partaking of the fruit, and they're immediately aware in their nakedness, we're different, Adam and Eve. Hey, you're different. You're naked. I'm naked. There's never anything said about this in the narrative. But as soon as sin takes place, they feel a difference, a nudity between them, and also a vertical, I'm exposed before God, I'm exposed to this woman, to this man. And so the fig leaves start serving to hide us from one another, and for sure to hide us from God if he should decide to make a trip to the garden. Of course, it only works with mankind a little bit. With God, it never works. And they're out here running around these fig leaves. Who taught them that? Who, who taught them that you feel this exposure of the heart before God? This sense of shame. And I think ever since the garden, we've been in the human masquerade show. Man's effort to look good, to look self-sufficient, it's the epitome, the epitome of the secular yuppie. I want to look good. I want to make money that my father and mother never made. I want to drive cars they never drove. I must look good. I must look good. I must emote that I am the self-made sufficient man until cancer strikes me. Until my kids say, I can't stand you until your religion is only an empty external form where you punch a clock 
one day a week to put in sacred time. But you live in the barren wasteland of being your own God and all the time naked, exposed, shame, guilt. Something else happened. Uh, hiding replaced fellowship with God. They start running in the garden. I, I think it's frantic. Uh, look at verse 8. Uh, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And if you read chapter 2, they always look forward to this. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I mean, who teaches you to hide? Who taught them this stuff? How did it instinctively just happen? I'm stripped. I'm naked. I must hide. Let's run in the trees. And, and you see this frantic couple running around and here God's coming in and some kind of seemed to be a, a rushing kind of wind. And of course he speaks and he says, where are you? Where are you? And the couple, I just seem like frantic rabbits, as it were, just running from one bush to, we must hide, we must hide. What? Who taught you to hide? You, you've, never, you've never seen anybody hide before. Where does that come from? Sin, the knowledge of evil, that when you get into evil, you've got to be a hider. When you get into evil, you've got to masquerade what your real motives are because underneath you're a raving beast of lust and desires and egos and self-sufficiency that are just terrible. You've got to hide your motive when you're selling me a car. You want to make money over me. You're not trying to give me the best product. Your motive maybe is greed, covetousness, whatever. We've got to cover, we've got to cover, and we're great at hiding. That's why it's hard to get adults in church life to know each other. We don't want to know each other. You wouldn't accept me if you knew me. We've got to look good, shake hands, dress well, and keep a distance. Don't get too close. I don't want to know you because I think you're as bad as me and you don't want to know me. And we wonder why we don't feel close. Where did you learn all that distance? You learned it from sin. You learned it when you ate of that tree. That's where it comes from. It came from the knowledge of good and evil and how to survive with other evil people. That's why the church is supposed to be different because we're supposed to be controlled not by Satan, but by the Lord Jesus Christ that turns us into transparency, family, forgiveness, I don't have to wear fabricated fig leaves to get your approval. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I don't need fig leaves. But that makes you bold in his righteousness. So they're hiding, and God says, where are you? And I get the answer, well, I heard you in the garden. Well, you did yesterday. <laughs> you didn't hide. Well, uh, I was afraid. You weren't afraid yesterday. Well, I, I'm naked. Well, you were naked yesterday. Why the hiding? Ooh, something's changed. What's changed? We've sinned. And they never got to that. He never did say we sinned. Adam, as a strong leader, says, all was well until you gave me Eve. All was well. I used to be happy in this garden by myself. There was no seductive voice, but it seems like since she's come into my life, there's been nothing but trouble. Thank you, Adam. We appreciate your honesty. 
your coming forth, your confession. And then Eve, what's your problem? Well, you know, I just took, I just started feeding that snake at the back porch and it looked like it didn't have a home. And, and then it started talking. And I figured anything that could talk, that could crawl, ought to be listened to. And I just listened to it. And I've been giving it milk every day. And God didn't ask the serpent why. He said, you're my ark enemy and the adversary of my good. I know why you did it. You want to kill them like you killed one-third of the angels. And then curses come where only blessings had been intended. God had no plan but to bless. And now he starts pronouncing curses on the serpent, on the woman, on the ground. And this most pitiful scene at the end of the garden scene the couple is banished, banished, because now they're in a fallen condition and they are banished because they cannot continue to live in this fallen state. There's something that you need to know. All of history is wrapped up in two trees, two trees, the tree in Genesis 3 and the tree that was erected outside the city of Jerusalem years after this. When you trace just the trees in Genesis, they are so symbolic of a remarkable message. In chapters one and two, the trees are the symbols of God's goodness. Fruit-bearing trees that will meet every uh, taste bud desire you'll ever have. I mean, you won't have to worry, just till the ground, there's no weeds. You won't need to use Roundup. You won't have to worry about any of that. They are there for your benefit and good. Chapters one and two. It's good, it's good, it's good. That's all I plan towards you. Chapter three, you eat of the tree I forbade. Then after you ate of that tree, you run to the trees to hide. And at the end of the chapter, I've got to exclude you and banish you from the tree that would keep you living forever. I just killed you. I'm going to shorten your life and you will not be able to have eternal life just as you are, you're going to start dying. And it's an amazing thing that God nearly five to 6,000 years later sent his son who said, I must get on a tree because anything that dies on a tree bears a divine curse against sin. And I will voluntarily lay down on the tree because it was at a tree that the race was murdered lied to and condemned. And as Adam brought sin and death and condemnation by eating of the tree, I will lay my life down on a tree and bring forgiveness, justification, and eternal life. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Christ just comes along and says, I must die on a tree. And that was not even a Jewish form of death. The Gentiles invented crucifixion under the Assyrians. And even the prophet, David prophesied in Psalms 22, Messiah shall die on a tree. He shall not be stoned as the Jews did. He shall die a unique kind of death on the tree for God made Christ to be your sin as he died on the tree. There's another graphic thing that happened in chapter three. God covered the couple in verse 21. He made garments for them. 
And uh, the word for garments to cover them, the word cover is the Hebrew word kafar. And kafar means covering or atonement. That you this morning are exposed to the righteous wrath of God against your sin. You are no candidate fit to be in the presence of God until you get someone to cover you. You need to be covered. And nothing you can produce in the clothing covering your internal nakedness and shame will work. They all rot and evaporate. It just doesn't work. Some of you are too self-righteous to come to God because you think you're doing a pretty good job covering. But when you stand in the august presence of God and this God who is a consuming fire, you'll find your leaves will melt in a second. They cannot withstand his scrutiny and his character. God himself is the only one that can cover you. And he's gone away from animal skins. Figure God had to go kill two innocent animals to cover this couple. God finally has said in Hebrews, I cannot use the blood of animals to take care of the human problem. I only bought time. The human problem can only be covered by the blood of the second person of the Godhead. Only as Christ comes and offers himself will there be an adequate covering for the nakedness, the shame, and the guilt of our sinful choices have brought. And this morning, I say to you, our gospel is our God died on a tree because we died at a tree. And our God has become our covering through Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ and quit running from God, quit doing your own cover-up and admit I'm unworthy of this God, I'm guilty as charged, I am playing my own God, I'm living my own life and my own energy, my own strength, independent of God, then does God offer you a covering that's greater than any animal skin. By faith, the righteousness of Christ covers you like a garment and you become clothed in him and God says, I no longer see your nakedness, I no longer see your guilt nor your shame, you're covered. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'll cover it? Talk about a bill at the rest, I'll cover it, it's covered. We used to love in Emeryville when they had the, uh, it was a Sherman Williams paint sign there for years. And that paint would just spill out. You would just see it look like covering the whole world. I often saw that and thought of the blood of Christ covering an entire globe. He's your covering. You're nothing but exposed until you get under his covering. And you get there by faith alone, your own righteousness. You're as naked and inexcusable as you can be because we're, we've been found out. And the voice haunts us. Where are you? Where are you? And I would say for God today, where are you today? Hiding? Taking the fruit? Making your own garments? Or would you dare run to the living God, living God and say, cover me, cover me. I can't get it from anyone but you. And God says, I can cover you, but it will cost the life of my son. And God has already done that. So you ought to come 
and you ought to be covered. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us, and we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a -a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864 or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship, and you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. Stop by and pay us a visit. Then drop us an email and let us know you did pay us a visit. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Mm -hmm.